The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm your host, Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. Hope nobody is in a funk this Monday morning. Very excited about my special guest coming on the show, Dr. Shamani John, or Jan, excuse me. But before we bring her on the line, I just want to announce our upcoming fall fun drive. It's our 2014 fun drive, and uh, it's a lot of fun here at the station. We actually have opportunities even to uh, come on a show, and I I believe... um, you can come and kind of co-host with one of the DJs here on, on one of the shows, if you pledge. So it's coming up Monday, October 27th through Friday, November 7th. And it's going to mark our 45th anniversary of KCI. Listeners can help make sure KCI continues on for another 45 years, which would be great. There'll be special 45th anniversary premiums offered as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun coming up Monday, October 27th. All right. Dr. Shamani is joining us. She's a psychologist, scientist, and social entrepreneur joining us this morning. And uh, I heard about her at TEDx. And uh, if you're not familiar with TEDx, it just happened uh, at Soka University. She is a psychologist, scientist, social entrepreneur. She's the founder and director of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, a collaborative, collaborative effort that links scientists, practitioners, entrepreneurs, and educators to facilitate healing through an understanding of consciousness and consciousness-based practices. So it's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Dr. Shamani Jan. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. It's it's an honor to be on the air with you. You know, I heard about you through uh, TEDx, and uh, when I read about you, um, there was this title, Psychoneuroimmunologist. What, What is that exactly? (laughs) <laughs> it's a really fancy word, Janine, for <laughs> studying how the mind and brain interact, really, is wow. what it is. It's, it's about how the mind and the body um, and our emotions interact to promote or, um, or not promote our health. And it's interesting because the theme of the show is get the funk out. And, you know, you have to really be very mindful to not be in a funk half the time, you know? Yeah, it's really true. And what's really interesting about psychoneuroimmunology is that we have these tools now for us to really deeply understand what our mental state and our emotional state can do to our physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of like a, you know, a glorified biofeedback system, if you will, where you can look at all of this data and you can do these experiments that really show you um, what the power of your mind is to you know, to help you get out of your funk so that you can improve your mental, your emotional, your physical health. You know, it's pretty amazing. It is. And, you know, it makes me think of years ago, like being in a bad relationship and getting really sick. And because I was so emotionally distraught and it, and I just, you know, everything kind of came to a head. And that's what happens. You, you uh, your whole body breaks down. Yeah, it really can. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, bad relationships because, you know, psychoneuroimmunology is almost 
um, not complete enough of a title, really, because one of the things that we're realizing in our field is that social interactions are so key to health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, John Cacioppo, for example, and others have done these incredible studies with really huge sample sizes, um, you know, tons of people, and they've determined that loneliness is actually such a key health factor. So, you know, and feeling lonely doesn't mean that you don't necessarily have people around. You might have a lot of people around but feel very lonely still. Sure. Um, it's a really huge prognostic indicator of health, even, um, you know, even so far as, you know, disease and death. And on the flip side of that, of course, you know, when you look at it on the other side, um, what you find is that those who have really strong social connections, you feel like they're really supported and have a great social network. Mm-hmm. And again, that doesn't have to be a big one, right? It can even just be a couple of people that you feel really connected to. Um, it has a profound Im- implication on your health. Right. How did you get involved in this field? You know, it's a great question. <laughs> and I would say I found myself in psychoneuroimmunology because I was seeking some kind of a model for understanding some of the things that I read about as a child. So I grew up as a Jan, and I read a lot of books that were written by Jan monks, and they talked about a lot of this stuff from their perspective. Mm-hmm. And they, they talked about it in terms of what I would call first-person observation. So, you know, they did a lot of meditation. They did a lot of deep thinking and deep listening. And um, I would read these books, and they would talk about different yogic practices, breathing practices, meditation, and the way it would affect the body, and they would say or regulates the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems and all that. And I would read it, and I would just be like, well, how do they know that? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're saying all this, but, you know, where's the data? So there was this part of me that was already kind of scientifically inclined and the daughter of a scientist. Mm-hmm. So um, I kept looking for a way to really study this, and I found myself in neuroscience um, as an undergraduate at Columbia University, And, you know, that was one tool, but at that time in the early 90s, there was so much just focus on what part of the brain lights up when I do this. Yes. And there was such a disconnect between studying how the brain and the body and the mind all connected at that time Mm -hmm. that I just kept looking. And then I found this field of psychoneuroimmunology and started looking around to, you know, to see who I could study with that was open to some of these Eastern and Western bridging ideas. Um, And so that's really how I found myself in the field. It's very intriguing because I, I would, as if I were in this field, I'd probably be having a conversation with somebody and be like thinking about why I'm feeling a certain way, you know, like you're self-analyzing. You could. I mean, the, you could de- definitely do that. I think when you're a budding clinical psychologist, that definitely comes up. So I trained mm-hmm. as a clinical psychologist as, you know, my clinical work as well as the research side, which is psychoneuroimmunology. And, you know, I see this all the time with trainees when you start learning about you know, any disorder, all of a sudden you think you have it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting journey. And then you realize it's just, you know, you actually have to let go of that. And uh, when yes. you start doing your own practice, whatever that is, you know, yes. your own mind-body practice, your mm-hmm. own spiritual practice, then you realize, you know, you don't have to affix a label to everything. And, you know, and actually analyzing gets in the way. You just yes. have to sort of be present and be open. And, and then the answers come. Yes, Absolutely. Now, once you finished in Columbia, New York, where did you go then? Well, um, I was still in the cognitive neuroscience area, so I uh, did some research at Stanford University for a couple of years as a research assistant. Um, And we were putting electrodes on schizophrenics and Alzheimer's patients, and we were studying what we call event-related potential. So we'd, you know, show them something on a screen and then kind of look and see how their brain worked. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that, and one of the patients 
looked at me and he said, is this going to help me? Is this going to help me? Is this research going to help me? And Mm -hmm. I was so struck by that. And I was, you know, kind of feeling like, you know, I don't know if it will. And I realized that for me, I needed to find something that was going to actually have impact, you know, on the person that I was working with. And part of that is, you know, obviously doing clinical work, but also just a deep desire to say, you know, whatever research we're doing, you know, it would be really wonderful if we could see that research translated into something that people can actually take and learn and apply to their life. And, you know, and that's, you know, that's what clinical research does. Yes. So, um, so that's what I did. And then I actually found myself in the Center for Integrative Medicine at University of Arizona for a few years. Um, and that's where I actually had my first Reiki session, which really kind of shaped some of the research that I did later, because it was such a profound um, and interesting experience that I, I couldn't understand how to describe in scientific terms what I was experiencing. Could you, excuse me, could you explain Reiki to people that don't know what that is? Sure. So, you know, Reiki is a hands-on healing technique. It's often used hands-on, and it's something that we call in the scientific field a biofield therapy. So biofield is a fancy term um, that encompasses a lot of different things, uh, but a lot of people will describe the biofield in lay terms, you know, in everyday terms, as energy or energy and information. So this is the frontier, frontier aspect of, you know, what we call integrative medicine in this country. Mm-hmm. And um, the biofield encompasses things like, you know, the actual um, electromagnetic emanations from our body, from our cells, which are veritable, they're measurable. Um, they're things that are actually being used now in treatment. For example, people are developing devices like pulsed electromagnetic field stimulation to stimulate wound healing. They're using it right now to look at traumatic brain injury. So that's part of what we call the biofield. And then the other aspect of the biofield is something that has been described in many different traditional cultures as things like prana, chi. It's this aspect of energy that many people sense, but it's been pretty hard to measure um, through, you know, kind of a physical scientific system. So all of that right now is considered part of what is this so-called biofield. And it's been used you know, the knowledge base of the biofield has been used to stimulate healing in many different medical models, including Chinese medicine, um, Ayurveda, and so forth. And Reiki is one of those biofield therapies where a practitioner actually says that they are using chi or using prana to help guide the individual back to a, a more holistic healing state. That's really fascinating. It is. I mean, you can imagine when you're talking about this to scientists, you know, there's a lot of eye rolls and, you know, what, yes. what is this? You right. know, it sounds like hocus-pocus to a lot of people, but what's interesting is that when you do the research, um, and this has, you know, been the base of a lot of my research, there is some actually surprisingly strong evidence for um, some of these therapies for things like acute pain. Mm-hmm. Um, the study that I did actually was in cancer-related fatigue, and we looked at all kinds of placebo factors to see if, you know, you could really explain this stuff with placebo. Placebo itself, um, you know, and we can get into that if, you, if you'd like to talk about it. It's just sure, a very sure. deep, it's a rich conversation around placebo. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of scientists will say, well, this is really all placebo. It's really interesting to think about what placebo is. Uh, but anyway, when we did this study, we looked at all the types of factors like expectation and how connected you felt to your practitioner, how much you believed the treatment was working, 
And um, in, in fact, we did see that placebo elements help to predict things like quality of life. But in terms of general fatigue and even the immune system or the endocrine system, the hormonal changes that we saw in our patients, it wasn't explained by placebo. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So we, you went on to uh, get a doctorate, correct, at SDSU? That's correct. It's a joint doctoral program with um, San Diego State and UCSD. It's really a fantastic program, very deep in clinical training and in research training. So those of us who go, we pick a mentor. My mentor was Paul Mills at uh, UC San Diego. He's a professor there, Mm -hmm. Um, really a fantastic person and mentor. Um, So with him, you know, I studied kind of the the secondary immunology, and he was... um, he was really wonderful in allowing me to study what it is that, you know, really I was passionate about studying. That's great. Um, yeah. You've also, I noticed, congratulations, you've got some great blog posts on Huffington Post. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Those just came up recently, just a few random requests. So, yeah, that one was a, a more personal post that people seem to enjoy it. <laughs> that is great. So in between all of this, you also have a love of music, which is really, I do. yeah, that is interesting. You studied as a classically trained singer? That's right. Um, you know, I was uh, lucky enough when I was young just to, um, I actually showed up to, in high school, I showed up to choir practice and nobody else did. Oh, but <laughs> and, that's so funny. I remember my teacher saying, all right, well, you know, let's just go ahead and do this. <laughs> and then I sang for her and she said, oh, she said, you know, I have a, a play coming up. It was actually South Pacific. She's like, I'd really like you to audition for Bloody Mary. And I was 14 at the time, and, you know, I'm a fairly petite person, and I was very petite then, and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay. Um, So anyway, it kind of went on from there. She trained me, and um, my love of the stage was kind of born, you know, starting then, and uh, it's, yeah, it's been really wonderful. So I went on to train in high school as a coloratura soprano, believe it or not. That was just my vocal range at the time. Amazing. And, uh yeah, like many of us, I think we can sometimes find ourselves at crossroads and having to decide which way we want to go with our lives, with our professions. And mm-hmm. in my 20s, I was kind of presented with an opportunity to either pursue singing uh, more on a semi-professional level mm-hmm. or pursue my other love, which was, you know, the science and the science of healing. And um, in the end, I decided to pursue the science of healing because I felt like it would have more impact on the public, um, you know, on people than, you know, simply, you know, maybe just going and and singing, um, you know, in regional places in Europe or whatever. Uh, But that was a little unfortunate for me because I was so one way or the other about it that I actually left singing for over a decade because it was like, well, if I'm going to focus on getting my Ph.D. and focusing on this, then, you know, I really, I'm not going to have time to really pursue singing, so I should just let it go. And that was a big loss. Um, And it really wasn't until I had kids that all the joy of it came back without the perfectionism. Um, and so now it's just really fun to sing and, you know, and not worry about whether I mess up or whether I sound the best, but right. just enjoy doing it. So what happened? You just started singing to your kids, you know, in between yeah. diaper just, you changes? Know, I mean, and... I think a lot of us probably do that, right? You sing lullabies, yeah. you sing with them, whatever. There's just, I just felt a lot of joy when I was doing that. And I thought, gosh, you know, I really, I just miss singing. Right. Um, and and then it was like, wow, well, this is what it's about. This was the gift that I was given. And, um, you know, it's it's not necessarily about being a professional or making a living at it. It's just about enjoying the gifts that you, you're given. That's great. And so uh, you formed this band, Nuns and Moses. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I love it. Tell me about that band. Well, so 
so the preface to that band is, it made a lot of sense later, after I had formed this band, and I wondered what in the world, you know, made me kind of go in this direction. Right, what one, did? One of, my, uh, one of my spiritual teachers had said, you know, all roads to knowledge start with silly. And I thought, well, that is just so true, because yeah. um, long story short, you know, I, I grew up in the South, and um, some of my vocal idols, even though I was training classically, were people like Janis Joplin, Robert Plant, um, and Axl Rose. You know, I just really admired the way they just sang full force and didn't hold anything back. And, you know, I always loved that. And I was, you know, I sing a lot of their stuff. And uh, I was in D.C. for work, actually, and randomly there was a Guns N' Roses concert. And randomly I ended up getting tickets and then randomly right in the front, um, right in front of the band. And at one point, for no reason at all, there was absolutely, it was, uh, there was nothing that I could, I wanted more than to actually just jump up there and sing with Axel because I absolutely love some of those songs. Awesome. It was just hilarious. And I talked to a friend of mine about it later, and I said, oh, you know, I just love this, and I'd always wanted to put together a band. And he said, dude, you know what? We're getting old, so if you're going to do it, you should just do it now. Exactly. Um, and uh, so we did. I just um, just started reaching out to different musicians, and before I knew it, we had this band together. And then for some reason, I had this crazy idea pop into my head to call it Nuns and Moses. And, <laughs> um, and then just for fun, um, what, we, what we did was I would come out for part of the show dressed as Moses, and um, my guys would dress as nuns. So I got them to do that for a while. Terrible. I don't think any of them were particularly happy about it in the beginning. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it was fun. It was hilarious. It was just a fresh take. Um, you know, as you know, some of GNR's lyrics are not really, <laughs> they leave a lot to be desired. I know, uh, I know. For some of them. So we kind of transformed the songs in a way that, you know, we thought would be fun and just a little bit more politically and socially conscious. You know, I have to say, I love Slash. I love Slash. If my husband's listening, sorry, honey. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I love Slash. There was an actual, um, we went to the movies yesterday, and he's going to be in some new movie, a uh, small role. And my, my daughter looks at me, she's like, would you see that movie? I said, of course, because Slash is in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I didn't know that. That's oh, neat. he's awesome. He's amazing. Amazing guitarist. So where has this gone from? Uh, what's happening now? Nuns and Moses. Are you starting something else? Yeah, you know, we've well, when I first started the Guns N' Roses cover band, it was actually with the idea that it would be an all-female group, but I couldn't find any female players at the time that wanted to play Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think we're putting together an all-female, an all-female group now of just, you know, Whatever we want, really. It could be some covers, some originals. Um, but just, you know, having fun and really just, um, you know, rock virtuosity and, and fun. That's really what it's about. Well, maybe you can come into the studio here and perform live sometime on the air. Oh, that'd be so fun. I'd We'd be, love to do that. We would, we would love it. We have a lot of live bands here at the station. So um, you let me know when you guys are ready. Okay. Sounds good. So you, you're basically juggling what you do professionally, your music, and you're a mom. That is right. unbelievable. I mean, do you ever find yourself in a funk? Um, you know, I find myself tired. tired? Sometimes. <laughs> I do. I, I tend to be this constitutional type, I'm told, that just sort of runs until I hit a wall, and mm -hmm. then I have to kind of rest and regroup, and then unfortunately, or, or fortunately, depending, I guess, on who's, who's doing the looking, yes. um, I go full force again. So for me, it's, it is about energy regulation and mm -hmm. just, you know, making sure that, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing is, is happy and sustainable, first and foremost, to my family, because, you know, that is really the best thing that I've ever done with my life. I have a, um, an amazing husband and an 8-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old son, and, you know, they're really, 
they're my anchor, they're my reason for living. So I tend to get excited about a lot of things, but really grateful for my family because they really provide me with the grounding and love and support. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I think we all find ourselves in situations that are difficult. Um, mm-hmm. We all are going to, you know, whether it's seeing a family member suffer or, you know, our own health or, or whatever. And, you know, the question is, what do we do with that? And I think what I've learned, both through the science that I've done and through my own kind of practice, is that um, you really have to just sort of settle down, settle inside and go back to yourself. Kind of right. get, a, get a better sense of, you know, who you really are amid all of this. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a scientist, I'm a this. Well, yeah, you are, you know, we are all different things, and yet at the same time we're not. You know, ultimately what we really are is our soul or our spirit. And the more that we stay connected with that, you know, with that core aspect of who we are, um, the more we can be easily carried through hard times. Yes. I actually was telling my daughters over the weekend that it's really good as a as a woman to be comfortable being alone because you don't want to always feel like you need to be with somebody to be happy. And when you have those quiet times, it really helps you get inside yourself and kind of figure things out and have some calm. It's such a powerful time. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, you know, I will say it's, um, you know, I remember going through a breakup with someone I was with for nine years. We were engaged and, wow. you know, and all of that. And when, you know, we finally decided to end that relationship and I was, alone, as you say, Mm -hmm. it was, it was, it didn't, (laughs) it's very strange because I was alone, but I didn't feel alone. I actually just felt, um, so filled with positive energy. It's great. It it was really amazing. And it it was really enjoyable to spend that time by myself. It's, it's really a great gift. It is. I actually lived alone in Boston for five years before I met my husband. And, um, and I, I found it as a time of healing, you know, getting to know myself, going to graduate school, playing guitar, spending time with girlfriends, but having time alone and being okay with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes in society we feel like we're we're not supposed to be alone. And, and women, we, we are relational. I mean, kind of by nature, you know, we mm-hmm. almost define ourselves based on how we are in relationships. And there's definitely nothing wrong with that. Um, but the most important thing, too, is who you are in relationship to yourself. And if you're kind of in harmony with that, then everything else follows. Your relationships are also much more harmonious. Yes. I know we have to wrap up soon, but congratulations on TEDx. Thank uh, you. And tell me, um, what was that like, that whole experience, being part of that? It was different. I mean, it was really neat. I learned a lot. Um, I give a lot of talks, you know, in different kinds of venues, and mostly around the science and, you know, and of course some of the application of what we've done. But I had never been um, in a situation where you write a script and you kind of stay with the script and you really tighten. And um, for me it was an incredible growing experience because I realized how much I felt like I had to back up every statement with a scientific fact. And, you know, and then I realized I didn't have to do that. And, in fact, you know, they were more interested really in in the story than in science. Um, so it was really incredible working with my speaker coach. Um, Barbara was, you know, she's amazing, uh, really enjoyed it, and I met some really incredible people. So really grateful for that experience. It was an unbelievable two days. Yeah, it really was. It's intense and, you know, and it's lovely. 
um, there's just definitely, you know, a buzz in the energy and excitement about all the new ideas and the inspiration that you get from, from everyone, you know, in terms of understanding what they're doing. And then, of course, the speeches themselves. That's great. Let me ask you before we wrap up, is there something that's out on the horizon that you're thinking, you know, that's another big goal of mine? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, what I've just launched is something called the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm basically now following my passions full force because for me that's the only way. And um, this initiative is very exciting. Things are already happening. The goal is really to forward the interdisciplinary science behind consciousness and healing and, um, and also share, you know, in an embodied way, you know, through education, what are these practices, what can they do for us, how can we understand how healing works, and then how can we apply that to our daily life? So um, this is something that I've really just launched in the last few months um, that involves a number of different organizations that are doing incredible work in this area. And our goal is really to link them together and through a networked approach really forward you know, both the science and the education of how do we understand what consciousness is and how it applies to our healing process. Because, you know, I firmly believe that the more we understand that, the healthier we're all going to be. Where can people find out more information about you and what you're doing? Um, you know, for now, we're, I'm working on my website. Um, but uh, the best way would probably be to follow me on Facebook or uh, through Twitter. And um, then I can provide people with updates both on the initiative and, you know, and some of the things that I'm up to personally. Fantastic. Um, any last words you want to add before we wrap? Well, um, just thank you. It's really Aww. been fun talking with you, Me and um, yeah, I look forward to more connection with you. Sounds great. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks. And rock and rock on. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> All right, talk to you soon. <laughs> bye bye. That was Dr. Shamani Jan calling in. If you missed any part of today's show, it'll be up on my blog within an hour after I wrap. Uh, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.